Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 12, 13 and 14 of Insurgent. So where we left off, Triss and Four, they go to Kanda and then there's half the Dauntless there and they're like, oh my God, how could you betray us? Kind of a thing because they thought they were running the simulation. As opposed to all of the security cameras that they have there where they could see the evidence against that. Whatever. So the candor, they're going to inject Four and Triss with a truth serum and then interrogate them. And there's a bit of dramatic tension here because other serums don't work on them, but will this one? Oh, who knows? Who knows? Who cares? So we start chapter 12 with Niles telling us, I will ask you a series of simple questions so that you can grow accustomed to the serum as it takes full effect. And he just says to Four, what's your name? And he says, Four. And he looks like he's a bit schlumped in his chair, like he's trying to fight the serum a little bit. And Triss is thinking, okay, well, maybe you can't lie under the serum, but you can stretch the truth or tell your own version of the truth, which is lying in layman's terms, but okay. So like Four's like, oh, my name is Four, even though it's technically Tobias. But Niles, Niles didn't come down in the last shower. He's quicker than that. So he says, that's your nickname. What's your real name? And he says, Tobias. So, okay. He's just telling the truth. Okay. And Christina, she's watching and she elbows Triss and she's like, oh my God, did you know that? And Triss is like, yep. (laughs) I knew he was called Tobias. Like she's kind of gloating a little bit from my perspective. So then Niles says, I love that there's a character named Niles, by the way. The Nanny was one of my favorite shows as a kid and I loved Niles. No one was ever sassier than Niles. Bring back the Nanny. I heard they're doing a musical version of the Nanny. Now that's just what I've heard. I'm sitting here waiting, wishing, hoping that we get a cast album ASAP because I think a Nanny musical, like, hello, what could be better? Anyway, so Niles, he says, what's the name of your parents? And Four doesn't want to say. So you can see him sort of clenching his jaw. And he says, why is this relevant? And the candor around the room, they're all like, oh, holy shit. Check out the back chat on this one. And Christina, she fills us in. She's like our little audience surrogate. And she's explaining for us. She says, it's extremely difficult not to immediately answer questions while under the truth serum. It means he has a seriously strong will and something to hide. And Niles is like, yeah, I'm still going to ask the question, dude. Who cares if it's relevant? Tell me your parents. 
And Tobias is like, oh, okay. It's Evelyn and Marcus Eaton. And everyone's like, oh, shit. Hold up. Wait a minute. To quote Oprah. Hold up. Wait a minute. Tris tells us that surnames <laughs> are only ever useful for official records. No one ever tells anyone else their surnames, but everyone in that room apparently knows who Marcus Eaton is. So surnames are important. Who knew? I love when she contradicts herself mid-paragraph. And Tris is thinking, well, most of the people in the room must have read that pamphlet Janine was distributing about Marcus and about his cruelty towards his son. She says, it was one of the only things she said that was true. Like, okay, judgy judge, you don't know how much Janine's been lying or if she's telling the truth at all times. It was one of the only things she's ever said that was true. How do you know, Tris? Poor Janine, cut Janine some slack. So then Niles, he says, you transferred from abnegation to dauntless, yeah? And Tobias is like, oh, yes, isn't that obvious? And Tris is, <laughs> this Tris is so dumb. She says, I bite my lip. He should calm down. He is giving away too much. Giving away too much. He's under truth serum, Tris. If he answers with a bit of attitude, like I don't think it's going to matter because it's truth serum. They can just ask a follow-up question and get an answer out of him. Like, oh, he's, oh, he's giving away too much while he's under truth serum. Cut a guy some slack. And Niall says, well, the purpose of the interrogation is to figure out where your loyalties lie. So yeah, why did you transfer? Why did he, because he's allowed to, because everyone takes an aptitude test and they're allowed to make a choice. Like who gives a shit? Oh, they all get so offended when someone transfers and yet everybody transfers. I just uh, stop giving people the choice. If you're gonna begrudge them for it. I just, this society. So Tobias is resisting. He's keeping his mouth shut. He's trying to fight it, but then he starts breathing faster and his cheeks get more color. And Tris is feeling really bad for him. She says the details of his childhood should stay inside him if that's where he wants them to be. Candor is cruel for forcing them from him, for taking away his freedom. Yeah, he is accused of being like a war criminal, but yeah, I guess. It makes me worry about Candor because I thought they were meant to be the lawyers. They were meant to like run the court system in Chicago. And I'm starting to think there may not actually be lawyers present. It's just everyone gets shut up with a truth serum and then that's that. There's no one defending this war criminal. <laughs> There's certainly no right to a fair trial. So Tris is like, oh, this is horrible. This is so wrong. And Christina's like, what? It's just a simple question. Just fucking answer the question. And she's like, oh, you wouldn't understand, Christina. And Christina says, you really care about him. Guys, is now really the time to be having this conversation? You're not catching up with Cosmos. You're not the sex in the city gals right now. Like, come on. There's a man on trial and you're chatting about how much you care for him. Like, hello, focus. So Niles is insisting on an answer. So Tobias says, I transferred to protect myself. And he says, protect yourself from what? And he says, from my father. And then everyone's like, hold up, wait a minute. Hold up, wait a minute. And then Niles says, thank you for your honesty. And then that's what everyone in the room says. They all mumble under their breath. Thank you for your honesty. Like it's a bit of a handmaid's tale under his eye type saying. And also like, yeah, he's been forced a truth serum. He was shot up against his will. I don't know if I'd call it his honesty. I don't know if you should be thanking him for his honesty. He had no part in this. So I'm quite frankly outraged that the candor have the goal to thank him for his honesty when they're forcing him to tell the truth and to share his secrets. <laughs> but then after, 
But then after everyone says, thank you for your honesty, she says, ah, my anger begins to dissolve. The whispered words seem to welcome Tobias to embrace and then discard his darkest secret. So she's relieved. She thinks they're a welcoming bunch. And she's, I think, honestly quite touched that they're thanking him for his honesty. And she thinks, maybe it's not cruelty. Maybe it's a desire to understand that motivates them. Oh yeah, I... I think that was always the case. The whole thing is about finding the truth. Like, of obviously that was their goal. She thinks she's onto something. She's like, wait a minute. They value truth. Yeah, they do. That's literally the only thing that they care about. So they ask for about the day where everyone went under the simulation and four explains that he wasn't under the simulation at first. He says it didn't work on him. And Niles is like, yeah, pull the other one. What do you mean it didn't work? And he says one of the defining characteristics of the Divergent is that their minds are resistant to simulations. I am Divergent, so no, it didn't work. And yet here he is with a serum working on him. At least he said one of the defining characteristics because it's not the defining characteristic because the defining characteristic is that they can fit into more than one faction. That movable definition, I've always hated that. So then there's more mutters at the word divergent and everyone knows what it is because it's no big secret. And Christina, she gestures towards Triss and she's like, you too? You divergent as well, babe? And Triss is like, yeah, you got me. And Christina's shocked. She is shocked. And so then Triss is like, wait, how do you know what it means? And she says, I heard about it when I was young. (laughs) Yeah, divergent, we all know about it. We all hear the stories. And then again, they're having a private sidebar conversation And she says, well, it's not a big deal, Christina. It's like the fear landscape. You were aware when you were in it and you could manipulate it. For me, that's what it's like every simulation. And she says, but Tris, that's impossible. And I was like, okay, is Niles just sitting up there silently letting them have this conversation? Niles is like, oh, by by all means, have your sidebar. I'll carry on once you've got that cleared up, guys. And then we get one of the most ridiculous paragraphs I've ever read. And it's just for describing the plot, basically. Because Niall says, when you say resistant to simulations, what do you mean? And Four's response, like when you hear all of these words put together into one paragraph, it really strikes you how ridiculous it is. He says, usually it means we're aware during simulations, but the attack simulation was different. Using a different kind of simulation serum, one with long range transmitters, evidently the long range transmitters didn't work on the divergent at all because I awoke in my own mind that morning. Like, if you read that to someone who hadn't read any of these books or the previous chapters, they'd be like, "What what the fuck? Why are you saying simulation so many times? Like long range transmitters in a serum, like what are you talking about? And then Niles, he says, well, what do you mean you weren't under the simulation at first? Explain that. And he says, well, I was discovered and brought to Janine and she injected a version of the simulation serum that specifically targeted the Divergent. I was aware during that simulation. Oh God, like who's keeping track? The poor bloody court stenographer's sitting there frantically trying to scribble down what Tobias is saying. It's just like, oh, simulation, simulation, serum this, serum that. 
And Niles, he's like, well, then why were you running the simulation? That's what we saw from the video footage from the Dauntless headquarters that we watched. They obviously didn't watch the whole thing, but yeah, they watched the last few minutes of it and they figured out that it's all Tobias's fault. And Tobias says, when a simulation is running, your eyes still see and process the actual world, but your brain no longer comprehends them. On some level, your brain knows what you're seeing and where you are, but oh God, the nature of this new simulation was that it recorded my emotional responses to outside stimuli. Oh, shut the fuck up, Tobias. Like, if you weren't under a truth serum, there's no way you'd be able to elucidate that for us because it doesn't make no sense. Essentially, he says, the simulation made my enemies into my friends, my friends into my enemies. I thought I was shutting the simulation down. Really, I was receiving instructions about how to keep it running. And Christina's like, yeah, makes sense. She's nodding along. And then Tris notices that most of the people in the audience are nodding along as well. And she goes, ah, this is the benefit of the truth serum. Tobias's testimony is irrefutable this way. What did she think the purpose of the truth serum? Like, uh, honestly, Tris, do you understand this exercise at all? So then Niles asks him about how Tris and him fought and then Tris just stopped fighting him and that broke him out of the simulation and he doesn't know how to explain it. Veronica Roth doesn't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain it. But his best guess is that his conflicted emotions confused the simulation. Okay, uh, okay. This all-powerful simulation got confused by emotions. Uh, um, maybe the long-range transmitters in the serum weren't long enough. I, I, don't, I don't know. But Tris is listening to that band like, oh my God, he cares about me. So then Niles starts to ask about Triss and Niles says, how did you know her? And he says, I was her instructor. Now we're together. And then Niles has no follow-up questions about that. If I were Niles, I'd be like, okay, now what, what age was she when you first started grooming her? How was consent given? What do you mean you're together? You may not be a war criminal, but you certainly do seem like a bit of a pedo. Like (laughs) that's where my mind would go. But Niles, he just says, I have one final question. Among the candor, a person is accepted into our community once they have completely exposed themselves. And he doesn't mean by flashing people and whipping out your willies and your tatas. He means, what are your deepest regrets? And he says, "Ah, I regret my choice. I was born for abnegation. I was planning on leaving Dauntless and becoming factionless, but then I met her and I felt like maybe I could make something of my decision. So he regretted going to Dauntless, but then he met Triss two or three years after going to Dauntless and then that changed everything for him. So I don't know how that tracks, but apparently that tracks. And Triss is like, oh my God, he really likes me. Like, yeah, no shit, Triss. Four says, choosing Dauntless in order to escape my father was an act of cowardice. I regret that cowardice. It means I am not worthy of my faction. I will always regret it. Okay, I know it's truth serum. Does it mean you have to just keep talking and talking and talking and talking and revealing shit? Just answer the question. One word answer. He already fought it before. Now he's just like, oh, what do you want to know? Let me tell you everything about my psyche. Even if I haven't processed it myself yet, here's what I think and here's what I know deep down. So then everyone in the room says, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty, which is very cult-like, but they're all saying it, except for Triss. She says, I don't join in. I am the only thing that kept him in the faction he wanted to leave. I am not worth that. Well, he, he did eventually leave. I mean, you guys are refugees on the run. Like, yeah, he left. Now he's going to be with the factionless and overthrow the society. Like, okay, I wouldn't be guilt tripping yourself, Triss. 
So then it's Triss's turn and Niles is there in the center of the room with a needle. And her inner monologue is like, maybe I can fight it, but maybe I don't want to fight it. Maybe it might be better for everyone to know my deep dark secrets. Meaning that she killed Will. That's the main anxiety here. So she goes to the center of the room. She uses the antiseptic on her neck. And then Niles is about to shoot her up. And she says, actually, I'd rather do it myself. She narrates, I will never let someone else inject me again. Not after letting Eric inject me with attack simulation serum after my final test. Okay, that, that's not the last time you got injected. You got injected a couple of chapters ago back at Amity with the happy juice. I will never let anyone inject me again. Not after that last time I got injected. Well, it's not the last time. What, has she, has she forgotten? She says, I can't change the contents of the syringe just by doing it myself, but at least this way, I am the instrument of my own destruction. I don't don't know about that. What's the difference? What's the difference? Who gives a rats? And Niles is like, uh, do you know how to inject yourself with a needle? And she's like, piece of piss, old mate. And so she grabs the syringe. She positions it over the vein in her neck, inserts the needle and presses the plunger. And she's like, yep, piece of piss, easy as. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that, especially in the neck. I don't know why it always has to be in the neck. And then someone comes forward with a trash can and she tosses the needle in. A whole big trash can. I I guess that makes sense. But the image of her in the middle of this courtroom, it's just her and Niles in this big room and everyone's up on elevated seating looking down on her. And then someone's waltzing in with a giant trash can, like a whole trash can. You couldn't have had like a little disposal unit. It's just like in Dauntless, they were just throwing needles on the ground. They could not give a shit. But in Canada, they're like, oh, let me get the giant trash can for this one little needle. I don't know about it. It just seems like grow up, Canada. Like if you're going to be that afraid of needles, stop deciding to shoot people up all the time with serum. Like, hello. So she feels the effects of the serum immediately. She says, I almost collapse on my way to the chair. On her way to the chair? Where's the chair? Why is the chair not in the center of the room? Why was she not shooting herself up in the chair? Why has she got to go to a second location? Head this way, get the needle, head that way, sit in the chair. Combine the two. What are we running here, Kanda? What kind of kangaroo court is this? So her brain sort of goes silent. And so Niall says, what's your name? And she's like, Beatrice, Beatrice Pryor. So she's like, yeah, I'll tell you my last name. And he asks her parents' name. He asks what faction she's in. And she's like, yep, blah, blah, blah. Just rattling it off, not a care in the world. And he says, why did you transfer? And I don't think she has a ready answer for them because I don't think she can even answer that for herself. We had chapters and chapters of just to and fro and about it last book. And I thought she just ultimately decided that she's both, which... I thought was the whole point of being divergent. So it shouldn't have been a shock, but she's like, I am selfless. I am brave. But now that he's asked it, she's like, well, that's a bit complicated, isn't it? I'm not good enough for abnegation, but I wanted to be free, but I don't really want to say that because then I seem like an idiot. And it's like, oh, and she's sort of resisting. She's trying to figure it out. And then eventually she says exactly what she thought two paragraphs earlier. She says, I wasn't good enough for abnegation and I wanted to be free. So I chose Dauntless. Why was that that hard, Tris? And Niles, he's pressing her. He's like, I don't really need this information, but I'm actually curious. So he says, well, why weren't you good enough? Tris, like he's a bloody therapist. And she says, because I was selfish. And he says, ah, you said you were selfish. Does that mean you're not anymore? Like, does, does it matter? Again, I thought we we're interviewing a war criminal. 
let's get back to the whole massacre of the abnegation. Isn't that more important than whether or not she identifies as selfish? She says, yeah, I'm selfish. Everyone's selfish. But I became less selfish in Dauntless. I discovered there were people I would fight for, die for even. And she says, the answer surprises me. How? How does that surprise you? You've had that realization 10 times. You had that realization back in one of your fear landscapes when you shot yourself instead of killing other people. Like, hello. But then when she says it, she's like, oh, that's right. I'm doing a lie detector test. And so she has a bit more self-awareness. And then she's like, oh, I can fight the serum. So it took her a while to get there. So maybe Niles misplayed this and he should have just asked the hard hitting questions up front before he gave her a chance to figure out how the serum worked. So then he does ask her about the day of the attack. And Tris is sort of given a very vague timeline. She says, yeah, I played along. I found Tobias. Janine tried to kill me, but my mother saved me. She used to be dauntless, so she knew how to use a gun. Oh, don't start me, Tris. Don't start me on that little five-year-old kid learning how to use a gun. And in her head, she's like, and then my mum died, and then I killed Will. (laughs) And she doesn't want to say it. And then so she says, she distracted the dauntless soldiers so I could get away, and they killed her. And in her mind, she's thinking, some of them ran after me and I killed them, but she doesn't say it. She says, I kept running. And then again, in her inner monologue, she's thinking, Will ran after me and I killed him. But she's still not saying it. She's overcoming the serum. Hold up, wait a minute. And then she just like, one, two, skip a fuse. She, she jumps over a sequence of events and she says, oh, and then I found my brother and father. We formed a plan to destroy the simulation. We infiltrated the Dauntless compound and my father and I went up to the control room, blah, da, blah, da, blah, da, blah. So she just conveniently skipped over the will of it all, which I would have done too. Make no mistake. No judgment from me, Tris. Keep that shit secret. But she says, I fought the serum and in that short moment I won. I should feel triumphant. Instead, I feel the weight of what I did crush me again. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'd be cheering. I'd be like, woohoo, I beat the serum. I beat the serum. But now she's feeling guilty all over again. You can't win. Maybe you shouldn't kill your friends. Maybe that's the moral of the story. So then Niles is like, so you fought Tobias and then you stopped. Why did you do that? And she says, because I realized that one of us would have to kill the other and I didn't want to kill him. And then she says, I I remembered something I had done in my fear landscape in initiation. In a simulation, a woman demanded that I kill my family and I let her shoot me instead. So she's even remembering that instance. And yet flashback to two pages ago, she was like, oh, I was shocked to discover that I was actually not selfish. (laughs) And I would die for people. Like what a shock. What a shock. So Niles is like, okay, well, just to clarify, you were never under the simulation. And she says, no, I am divergent. And he says, okay, so you're telling me that you were almost murdered by the erudite and then fought your way into the dauntless compound and destroyed the simulation. And she says, yes. And he says, I think I can speak for everyone when I say that you have earned the title of dauntless. And then everyone in the room cheers. Her faction starts calling out to her. There's fists punching the air. Like, I I, I don't think so. This is one of those situations where people are telling a story like, I said this at the crowded airport and then everybody clapped. Like, I'm not believing these stories. And Niles, where do you get off pronouncing her as a true dauntless? Like, your candor. It's none of your business. Let the dauntless say who's dauntless. You stick to your candors. I think I speak for everyone. No, you don't. So everyone's just cheering that she's dauntless. Like, give me a break. 
And even Tris, she's on my side because she's like, no, guys, calm down. I'm not brave. I'm not brave. I shot Will and I can't admit it. I can't even admit it. So she's being cowardly. And then Niall says, what are your deepest regrets? And she thinks, oh, is it choosing Dauntless over abnegation? Is it shooting the guards outside the control room? No, because I would do that again. And she's thinking, I have to tell them. I have to tell them about Will. Even though she just defeated the simulation. She got what she wanted. She had the power to overcome the truth serum. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And now she's just going to fucking tell everyone anyway. She says, I regret Will. I shot Will. While he was under the simulation, I killed him. He was going to kill me, but I killed him. My friend. Like, wow, she she really doubled down on it as well. Like, how many times do you have to say, I killed Will? And then she says, Will, with the crease between his eyebrows. Okay, that's, that's an odd way to describe someone. So we needed Botox. Leave him alone. He's dead. With green eyes like celery. I'm not buying that someone has eyes the color of celery. That's a very specific shade of green and I'm not buying it. Is she talking about the stalk or the stem? I feel pain in my stomach so intense that I almost groan. It hurts to remember him. It hurts every part of me. He's dead. How do you think that hurt? And then she realizes, oh, so many realizations for Tris through this truth serum. It really is better than therapy. 
She says, I was willing to die rather than kill Tobias, but the thought never occurred to me when it came to Will. I decided to kill Will in a fraction of a second. So she's just had that realization. I've been telling you that for weeks, Tris. Weeks. And so then everyone in the room says, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty, except for Christina and Tobias. That's how she ends the chapter. Christina and Tobias say nothing. Well, like you didn't say it to Tobias like five minutes ago. So like, where do you get off being offended that he's not saying it? Like, I know it's more impactful because he just found out that she killed Will. (laughs) But still, don't be judging him for not engaging in the, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. So then we go to chapter 13. And she says the serum's already wearing off as she gets out of the chair. Already wearing off. They don't build serums to last these days. This is why you need those long range transmitters. So then everyone's leaving the room except Christina. She's bloody shocked. Cause remember Christina used to date Will. And also Christina just broke apparently the news to Tris that Will died like 45 minutes ago. And Tris was like, oh yeah, that's cool. So Christina has multiple reasons to be pissed because not only did she kill her boyfriend, she lied to her. And for Christina, who grew up in Canada, that's a big deal. And so Tris wants to say, I'm sorry to her, but she says those words, they sound more like an insult than an apology. Sorry is what you are when you bump someone with your elbow, what you are when you interrupt someone. I am more than sorry. Like, okay, I don't, I don't know about that. So she doesn't say sorry. She says, he had a gun. He was about to shoot me. He was under the simulation. Like, isn't that more insulting to try and explain your side of things instead of just owning up to it and being like, yeah, sorry, I killed him. Shit happens. And so Christina just says, you killed him. And then she looks at Tris as if she doesn't recognize her and then turns away and she walks off. So that's a bit anticlimactic. And then Uriah, he's there. Remember him? He says to Tris, oh, you okay? And she just says, yeah. She says, I haven't seen him since before the simulation attack, but I can't find it in me to greet him. So she just says, yeah. God, not even a how you doing. And Uriah, he gets it. He says, you did what you had to do to save us from being Erudite's slaves. She'll see that eventually when the grief fades. And then Uriah walks off. Is no one escorting Triss back somewhere? I guess she's free now. She passed the test perhaps. Niles never said, interrogation over, you've been found innocent. He just said, I can say for everybody here that you are dauntless. That's all he said. And I guess that was his ruling. So now she's dauntless, she can just carry on. And I guess Four's not a war criminal. Okay, we've solved that. So a bunch of dauntless are coming up. They're like congratulating her. They're complimenting her. They're reassuring her. None of them seem to care that much about Paul Will. And then Tobias comes up and she's bracing herself, but he's just like, oh, I got our weapons back. And he gives her a piddly little knife, that knife she's been carrying around. Get the girl a gun. Get the girl a gun. I'm sure she needs it. And then he says, we can talk about it tomorrow. And he's really quiet. And she's like, oh, Tobias being quiet. I don't like that. So then they go to this room that's filled with bunk beds. That night when she's sure that he's asleep, she slips out and she climbs up some stairs. And she says, I climb and I climb until my muscles begin to burn and my lungs fight for air. So she's just climbing to get a bit of exercise, clear her head. And she says, by the time I reach the 18th floor, my legs feel like they have turned to liquid. I shuffle toward the room where I was interrogated. So she was interrogated on the 18th floor. What a coincidence. She just stumbled upon the room where she was interrogated. I don't know about this. This merciless mart, it's very big. So she says the amphitheater room, uh, the benches are all still there, as is the chair that she sat in, you know, the chair. 
And so then she's standing next to the chair. She's running her hands on the chair. She's having an existential crisis about the chair. She's like, oh, it's a plain chair, wooden, a little creaky. How strange that something so simple could have been instrumental in my decision to ruin one of my most important relationships and damage another. I I don't think it had anything to do with the chair, Tris. It was just a chair you were sitting in. I don't really get the impact of the chair. You were under a truth serum. Let's focus more on that. Maybe go and find the trash can that you threw the needle in and have a crisis about that. Then she says, it's bad enough that I killed Will, that I didn't think fast enough to come up with another solution. Now I have to live with everyone else's judgment as well as my own. And the fact that nothing, not even me, will ever be the same again. Yeah, Will's dead. I don't know why she's still trying to play the victim here. Oh, it's bad enough that Will's dead. Now I have to live with the guilt of it. Yeah, because you killed him. So she's still holding on to this bloody chair and she says the edge of the chair bites into my palms. I was squeezing it harder than I thought. And then she's staring down at the chair, just full on, really putting too much emphasis on the chair. So then she lifts up the chair and she balances its legs up on her good shoulder. And then she searches the room for a ladder or a staircase. And she sees the amphitheater benches. I'm really struggling visualizing this room. But she says she walks up to the highest bench, lifts the chair above her head, and then she jumps and pushes the chair forward so it slides onto a ledge along the room or something. And then she jumps off the bench, grabs the ledge, pulls herself up onto the ledge. What is is going on here? Then she's swinging her legs up and dragging the rest of her body onto the ledge. Okay, so she's on a ledge. We've established she's on a ledge with the chair for some reason. And then she's standing on the ledge and she's looking out what used to be a window staring out at the city. Okay, so here's where there's a bit of a trigger warning for suicidal ideation. So she's looking out through this, what used to be a window. I know they've lost a lot of industry, but could they not have boarded up this old empty window? Or just chucked a new pane of glass up there. Like I'm sure someone in Canada could have figured out how to at least board up the window. Because what happens in bad weather? The interrogation room's just getting flooded. Like what? How can we have a working elevator in the Hancock building? We can have trains running 24-7. We can have Emity with this giant factory filled with water filtration systems and machinery. We got testing rooms where we're shooting up people so that they have simulations in their head. Like we can't figure out how to board up an old empty window frame. Like where are the priorities? So she's looking out over the city, the decaying city that again has all of this technology and yet it's decaying. Like what? So she's replaying the interrogation through her head. Christina's empty look, Tobias's lack of expression, everybody saying thank you for your honesty. And so she's just over it. She grabs the chair and she hurls it over the ledge. And then a faint cry escapes her and it grows into a yell which transforms into a scream. And then she's standing on the ledge of the merciless mart. (laughs) She says, I'm standing on the ledge of the merciless mart. That's just, ah. And the chair, this poor chair is sailing towards the ground. And then it hits the ground, shattering like a brittle skeleton. And then she's sitting on the ledge, looking down at it, being like, take that chair. What? All of this attention on a poor chair. I don't think the candor, who are graciously hosting you, are going to be that happy that you're throwing out their single chair. I think it's the only chair that they have. Now she's going to have to go on trial all over again. So then she's thinking about Al and about how Al 
stood over a, a similar ledge and then jumped. So, yeah, we're in dark territory. So then she's staring at the pieces of chair. Oh, the pieces of chair. She's staring at the pieces of chair and she says, for the first time, I feel like I understand Al. I'm tired of being Triss. I've done bad things. I can't take them back and they are part of who I am. So then she's leaning forward, holding onto the side of the window with one hand and just sort of like dangling out of the window and thinking about ending up like that chair. But then she says, I can't do it. My parents lost their lives out of love for me. Losing mine for no good reason would be a terrible way to repay them for that sacrifice, no matter what I've done. She's all for sacrificing herself, but not in this situation. So then she cries, thinking about her parents, and she lowers herself back into the interrogation room, San's chair. So then early that morning, she returns to her cot. Tobias is already awake, but then he turns and walks off but she thinks he wants her to follow him. So she follows him. God, can we not use verbal communication here? She says, he turns and walks towards the elevators and I follow him because I know that's what he wants. Like what? What a judgment call. If someone turned and walked away from me, I'd be like, all right, see ya. Have some alone time. Okay. Okay, grumpy Gus. Go and have a coffee and a cherry ripe and, you know, get back to me when you're cheered up. But she's like, oh, I know he wants me to follow him. So she follows him. They stand in the elevator, still not talking, still not a word said between them. And then the elevator's going down and she starts to shake. She's got shudders going throughout her whole body and he's not even looking at her. He's not saying anything. He's got his arms crossed and his head down and she can't stand it. She's like about to scream at him. And then finally he says, you didn't tell me. Why not? I mean, probably because she didn't want you to know that she killed someone. Like, I don't know if I'd be that offended for, like, come on. If my boyfriend killed someone, I'd kind of be like, you know what, don't tell me because I don't want to have that responsibility, that burden of having to turn you in. Actually, that's kind of messed up for me to say that I would be happy just living with a murderer if I didn't know about it. But I mean, hey, there's a lot of serial killers out there today. You listening right now, you could be partnered up with someone who kills people. Like, just think about that. Think about that. What, what? I don't know how I get on some of these tangents sometimes. Okay, so they're in the elevator and she says, yeah, I didn't tell you because I didn't know how. And he goes, oh, Tris, it's pretty easy. And she's like, oh, easy, is it? Is it easy? So all I would have had to have said was, by the way, I shot Will. Now let's go get breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Would I really have done that? Yeah, so easy, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's too much for her. She's crying and then she says, why don't you try killing one of your best friends and then dealing with the consequences? Okay, I don't really know if he needs to go and kill one of his best friends in order to empathize with this situation. I don't know if that's the best route to take. Also, best friends? Would we call Will a best friend? I mean, he was in your inner circle, I guess, but best friends? Hold up, wait a minute. Seems like you're rewriting history a little bit there. And then she covers her face with her hands and narrates, I don't want him to see me sobbing again. I, I, I think he can tell that you're sobbing because you did just have a breakdown and you told me you've been shaking and shuddering. So I think he knows that you're sobbing. And Four says, Tris, I'm sorry. I shouldn't pretend to understand. I just meant that I wish you would trust me enough to tell me things like that. Not about you, dude. Not about you. And he says, I mean, I had to find out that you almost drowned in a water tank from Caleb. Doesn't that seem a little strange to you? And I think that was him breaking the tension because then she's like, stop it. 
And then she's like, well, what about me? I just found out that my boyfriend's supposedly dead mother is still alive by seeing her in person. And what about you trying to go off and be factionless? You never told me about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's the same as killing one of your best friends, apparently, but okay. And Four says, well, I don't have to tell you everything right away, do I? And she's like, oh, you jackass. She's like, you don't have to tell me things right away, but I have to tell you everything right away. Can't you see how stupid that is? And she called him Four in italics. So she must've been lacing that with some sarcasm. And he says, first of all, don't use my name like a weapon against me. Second of all, I was not making plans to go with the factionless. I was just thinking about it. (laughs) If I'd made a decision, I would have said something. And third, it would be different if you had intended to tell me about Will at some point, but it's obvious that you didn't. And she says, well, guess what? I did tell you about Will and it was my choice. That wasn't the truth serum. It was me. I said it because I chose to. I don't know if that's the trump card that she thinks it is. She's like, haha, sucked in. I actually said it of my own free will. And he does get pissed. He's like, what? What, what the hell do you mean? And she's like, yeah, I was aware. Under the serum, I could have lied. I could have kept it from you, but I didn't. Just really gloating. <laughs> and he says, well, what a way to tell me in front of over a hundred people how intimate. And yeah, I think he has a point. And she says, oh, so it's not enough that I told you it has to be in the right setting. She's like, far out for next time. Should I brew some tea and make sure the lighting is right too? I don't think it's that unreasonable to want your girlfriend to say that she killed someone in a one-to-one conversation. I don't think that's that unreasonable. And she's just like gaslighting him, being like, oh, you want a cup of tea when I tell you? Like, um, maybe, yeah. There's a reason people always say when they're given bad news, maybe you should sit down first because you want to ease people into it. And she's just mocking him. And she says, Tobias lets out a frustrated sound and turns away from me, pacing a few steps. Are they still in the elevator? Where are they going? Because it's a long trip. How high is this building? And he says, sometimes it isn't easy to be with you, Tris. And then he looks away and she doesn't know what to say. She's like, well, I can't tell him I need him. I can't need him. We can't need each other because who knows how long either of us will last in this war. Oh, we're calling it a war now. Okay. And she finally says, I'm sorry, I should have been honest with you. And he's like, that's it? That's all you have to say? And she says, well, what do you want me to say? And he says, oh God, nothing, Tris, nothing. And then she watches him walk away. I I assume he's going to hit the elevator doors because I don't know when they opened. She says, I watch him walk away. I feel like a space has opened up within me, expanding so rapidly it will break me apart. No, maybe a space has opened up before you because the doors have opened and then you've left the elevator space. Like that's the only logical solution here. But anyway, that's the end of the chapter. So Four and Tris are on a rocky territory. And it all stems from the fact that she killed someone and didn't tell him. And fair enough. I'm on Four's side. Where are you guys at? Let me know. And I did say I was going to be doing chapter 14, but guess what? I'm not. So I'll see you guys next week for chapter 14 and maybe a few more chapters. Let's see how we go. Bye. Hold up. Wait a minute. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. 
You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.